The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is a part of our series in 1 Corinthians. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Let me begin with a simple question. Some of you are going to hear this question go, that's not simple. But let me begin with a simple question. Uh, are you righteous? Some of you are like, nope, I know me. Nope, not. Uh, some of you are, are thinking, well, I just am not going to raise my hand. I'm not going to, I don't know where he's going with this. So, and that's fair. Some of you realize there might be a little to this question. You're like, well, I'm not, but Jesus, maybe I do eh. So we don't know. We don't want to be the prideful dude that's like, yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? So are you righteous? This is an incredibly important question. Here's why. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous, those who are not righteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Big statement. That is a weighty, weighty statement. And now you see what the question, are you righteous, is, is profoundly important. Because according to this, the, the, the kingdom of God hangs in the balance by the way we answer this question. This is, a, this is a big question. We're gonna unpack this. And here's my goal, that as every one of us leave, no matter who you are, when you leave this place this morning, that you will be able to, with confidence and clarity, answer this question. That's my goal. Um, how many of you are parents? All right. You might be able to relate to me on this one. Have you ever had one of those horrible pa parenting moments where you're trying to... <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Where you're trying to discipline your kid, and yes, and um, and you you give them a threat that you can't back up. It just comes out like like um, we're never gonna get in a car again, and you're like, eh, I can't follow through that one. That was empty. <laughs> or uh, maybe a more accurate one is when you look and you're like, all right, you're gonna go to bed. It's three o'clock. I don't care. Go to bed. No dinner. And as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you realize, no. I can't do this because if this happens without dinner, they're going to wake up at four in the morning, hangry, and wake up the entire house. It's like, I'm not going to punish myself by coming through on that. It's an empty threat, right? Anyone made empty threats? I'm getting better, but occasionally, you know, um, sometimes I think that we think Paul does that. When we read ridiculous statements like this, I think sometimes we think Paul is making empty, empty parenting threats where he says this in like, do, uh, okay, unruly children, do you not know that the right, unrighteous are never gonna get to the kingdom of heaven? Do you not know this? Like, I feel like we approach this kind of with a, here's what I need us to understand. When in verse nine, this is not an empty parenting threat. When Paul says this, it's real. It's meaningful. He meant it when he said it. And this is why what Paul is about to lay before us is so, so incredibly important. Because if he didn't mean it, none of this really matters anyway. But the next four words, listen to the next four words. Do not be deceived. 
So the warning is real. The warning, what Paul just said, this is real. And then Paul says, so do not be deceived. And so what we're gonna look at is Paul diving into this a little bit more. Um, Deception is a funny thing. Because when I tell you, don't be deceived, that's way easier said than it is done. We are, um, we're deceived by others. Any of us, you don't have to raise your hand. Naive, like we're just, this is who we are. Um, Some of us, we know what it's like to be deceived by culture. I look at the Corinthian church who was struggling so much because, because the culture, the way the culture was, was starting to infiltrate and they were deceived on thinking, what, what, how should we view some of these things, right? So we can be deceived by others, we can be de- deceived by culture. Beyond all of that, we are deceived by ourselves. No one is better at lying to you than you are. No one has deceived you more than you have, and we've said this before, but if anyone deceived you nearly as much as you have deceived you, you would not be their friend. Like, that's just reality. We are really effective at getting ourselves to believe what we want to believe. We are so easily deceived. Paul says, do not be deceived. We're so easily deceived, and here is why. We have a very real enemy who has a very real purpose, and his purpose is to lie to you His purpose is to lie to you through others, through your culture, and through you, to lie to you. This is why I think of John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil. He's talking tenderly to the Pharisees here. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The reality is we have a very real enemy who is very real in his work and his work is he wants to deceive you in any way he can. And so deception, Paul says, beware of this, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. He issues the real warning. And he says, church, do not be deceived. Now, I want to read this next portion. Before I do, I want to give you a framework. Uh, Paul's about to list off several things here. And and what they are, I'll just call them the hot button issues. Hot button issues. So every people, every culture, every time, we have them. Uh, These are the issues, these are the sins, these are the things that are just on our minds as a culture. They're the things that maybe we struggle with the most, the things that are most prevalent, the things that if we were to look at our culture and say, well, we're, what about this, those hot button sins? Paul looks at the Corinthians and, and he is giving them a list of hot button issues. So our staff was in Dallas this week. We got back yesterday. And in this, we went to a church conference. And in this conference, uh, it was a conference dealing with how do we engage our culture with the gospel? More specifically, how do we engage our culture with the gospel in a culture of so many hot button issues? That's what we were looking at. It's such an important thing to wrestle with. In fact, I would guarantee that if I were to take a poll, have every one of you identify three hot button issues of our culture, I would guarantee that we would share the ones we list in common. So Paul does exactly what I just said. He's doing it to the Corinthian culture. He's about to list 
these things out. And I say this because as we read this, you're going to notice we share a lot in common. We share a lot in common. This, of course, is not an all-inclusive list. It doesn't claim to be. It doesn't mean to be. But we're going to notice um, we share a lot of, in fact, if they were to go to a church conference culture or a church conference back then in their culture, they would have probably been talking about the same things we were talking about yesterday, right? This, we share this in common. We're going to see first century Corinthians sharing very much in common with uh, 21st century San Antonians. Um, and because of this, don't miss this. When Paul is, issues that warning that we just read, he issues it to us. This is apples to apples. When he says this, it seems to apply to us very naturally. It seems to fit us very well. And, and that's also true for the call to do not be deceived. This morning we're going to talk about that. Do not be deceived. Um, he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexual, sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He starts with a sexually immoral. It's a good thing we don't struggle with that anymore. I mean, it's a good thing. I'm joking, of course, because we are in the middle of a full-fledged sexual revolution as a culture. We know this. We know this. We're right in the middle of it. We are right smack in the middle of it. Of it, but I won't preach that message yet because Paul is about to lay it down in this chapter, and I don't want to preach twice on that. So, and I don't have time this morning. So we're, we're we'll move on. Idolaters. Um, we might not have idols on our mantles uh, in our homes, but for some of us, our homes are our idol. We'll give it that. Um, here's the reality: is is although we don't think of like little like idols. I mean, some of us might. In some cultures, it's still very true, but most of us don't think of that. Um, but our idols have just taken other forms, other shapes. Um, John Calvin, who is this his, historical theologian, who, who said, uh, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. I love that. He says, he says, our minds beget the idol and our hands give it birth. And here's the point I'm trying to make. We haven't outgrown it. We haven't out grown this. We've just changed our objects. And so idolaters. And then he says adulterers and men who practice homosexuality. Again, he's going to dive into this in great detail here in a bit. Uh, but Paul looks at the Corinthian people and he sees sexual confusion, distortion. He looks at these, these people, he sees sin, and, and we look at our culture and say, yep, this is us. This is where we are. How do we engage in this? How do we engage this? The next one he says is thieves, those who steal from each other, take advantage of people who are uh, uh, defenseless for our gain, right? That, uh, thieves or the greedy. Oh, man. This may not be a hot button issue, but sometimes the issues that are most serious are the ones that we don't see anymore. Let's, the greedy, those who never can get enough, who chase for more and more and more, more things, more, more prestige, more money. And then he goes to drunkards, those who abuse substances, those who are kind of a glutton for substances. 
Uh, then he goes to revilers. We don't use that word typically. Maybe you do. Um, but those are those, uh, these are those who slander. I think of um, Facebook. Right? We don't do a great, like, we don't revile each other publicly a lot, but we will do it privately in a public way. Right, uh, that's we're okay with that. But anyway, this is when we lash out. We 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 just gracelessly burn people with our tongue and our type. Revilers, and lastly, he says swindlers. Uh, these are the scammers, the Nigerian princes, the cunning, manipulative, taking advantage of people. The fact that I get seventeen phone calls a day, and most of them are scams. Need to get off that list. Um, scammers, to trick, to deceive. So Paul runs down this list. He just runs down this list, calling out sin, calling the Corinthians to be aware of these things. And then he says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, can we just for a moment take on the full weight of that statement? These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me ask again, how many of you are righteous? There's two things here. Um, the sin that Paul identifies in the Corinthian context is very similar to ours. Like it's almost as though, I said this, but it's almost as though Paul could be standing here saying the very same things and it would make perfect sense. All right? But... Too, and more than that is, is the Corinthian church was struggling to engage with these things. In church, we share that same struggle. How do we talk about this? How do we talk about sin? There's a tension that I think we all feel. And this is why when I asked how many of you are righteous, no one went boom, and no one went well, we didn't know, right? This is the tension. On, on, uh, two things are simultaneously true. Two things are simultaneously true. One, the reality is that we all sin. We have this reality that just, the Bible didn't need to tell you this. Like, you know this about you, but the Bible does tell you this. Uh, the, the, ver, the chapter, Romans 3, um, as it is written, how's this for clarity? None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So that's clear. Like, you don't need a degree to get what Paul's getting at. Like, that is so clear. So no one is righteous. This is true. And church, this is a problem. Like, this is a problem because the second truth, simultaneously true, that's the first truth. The second truth is what we just said, that no unrighteous person will enter the kingdom of God. No right, unrighteous person will inherit the kingdom of God. So, if no one is righteous and no unrighteous person will enter the, will inherit the kingdom of God, church, we have a problem. 
not a theoretical problem, not a theological problem. We have a real, real problem, and we have to see this. This is why Paul says in, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And why he says again that in Romans 6.23, and the wages of that sin is death. Death, and again, this is not empty parenting threats. This is the truth about you. It's the truth about your condition. It's the truth about us. And it, the, Paul was inspired by God to tell us the truth about ourselves and to tell us the truth about our God. Church, we have a problem. We have a problem, and we feel that tension when I ask the question. We feel it. It's what drives us to want to raise our hand but not know. We feel it. Um, praise God that it doesn't end here. Verse 11. Paul gives the warning. Not a fake one, a real one. He gives the warning. He's setting these things before them, and then he says... And such were some of you. It's kind of the jab, like, you're among this number. This was you. Remember, you were broken. He says, and such were some of you. In verse 11, for those of you who have the text in front of you, there's a three-letter word that comes next. What is it? But that is my favorite word in this entire passage of Scripture. But... This three-letter contrast here, my favorite word. He says, this was you, but, but, and oh, listen to this, but, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Church, this is a beautiful, an absolutely beautiful proclamation of the simple gospel. Because the gospel says, yes, it's true. No one is righteous. No, not one. The gospel tells us the truth about ourselves, which is good news because you can stop faking it. The gospel tells us the truth about us, and at the same time, the gospel says, yes, it is true. No one who is righteous will inherit the kingdom of God. The, the, the gospel affirms both of these truths as truth, and then the gospel says, but... Then the gospel says, but, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. Don't you dare be deceived. Don't you dare forget that you were washed, meaning you were made clean. You were purified. You were, you, you're pure. You were once dirty and now you're not. What Jesus washes, he washes well. He's not bad at washing. He washes really thoroughly. Jesus is really good at what he tells us he does. You were washed. Don't you dare be deceived. Don't you dare forget that you were sanctified. This is the word here meaning to be made holy. Praise God for that. Set apart 
for some of us with a theological background, you're thinking the doctrine of sanctification, what is this? Listen, the doctrine of sanctification talks about this ongoing process of us being made into the image of Christ and, and growing in our ability to walk and follow him. Praise the Lord for that. But this word is a little different here. What this is talking about is what Jesus did to you. Notice past tense. When he, through his work, set you apart through the work of Christ and made you holy. And let me just say it again. I don't think I need to, but what Jesus sanctifies, he sanctifies really well. Really, really well. Don't you dare be deceived. Don't you dare forget that you were justified. Meaning that you were literally declared innocent. You were declared just. Like a judge, you're standing before him and he says, innocent. Declared, let me say it again, what he justifies, what Jesus justifies. He doesn't justify halfway. He doesn't justify with a grudge. What Jesus justifies, he justifies completely. And I want to point out something. Notice the passive of every one of these statements. Meaning, God acted on you and on your behalf. It doesn't say, you washed up. No, it said, you were washed. Didn't say you sanctified, you set yourself apart because you didn't. You were sanctified. Didn't say that you somehow put together a really good argument to justify yourself because you didn't. It says you were justified. And how on earth could this be true? How on earth could this be true? I want to be very honest. Christians still sin. So what does this mean? Like we were washed. We were sanctified, we were justified, and then we just take it and get all dirty again? Like, do we erase Jesus's work? Is that the tension we feel when we don't know if we can raise our hand? Like, do we just mess it up? I'm glad you asked, church. I wanna look at one of the most beautiful doctrines in the Christian faith. One that is core, foundational, one that will change your entire heart. I want to look at something that is foundational to the gospel itself. And I'm going to give you a weird word for it. The word is imputation. Notice this doesn't say amputation. Key distinction. Imputation, not amputation. So this is an old accounting term that we don't use much anymore, uh, but it's a term that refers to when, when you get funds debited to your account or when you have debts that leave your account for someone else's. It's, it's imputed credits or debits. So that's how it was used in the ancient world. And so the church has, has historically taken this word, this single idea that absolutely will change our heart when we think about it in terms of the gospel. Because here's the deal. The Bible doesn't, even, doesn't just talk about imputation. It talks about double imputation. Again, it's important. Imp, not amputation. It's important we know this. Imputation. The Bible lays before us this idea, so follow me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what's happening. Paul says, for our sake. For our sake. Meaning, meaning, uh, because no one's righteous, because uh, no unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God, because of that we have a real problem. So for our sake. He, that is God the Father, made him, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. This is imputation number one. What just happened here is your sin and your guilt were imputed to Christ. What that means, think about it in accounting, you have a debt and someone else took it. It was debited, credited to someone else, the first imputation. Uh, You were sinful, so the perfect one took that sin. You were in debt, so the perfect one took your debt. This is imputation, but it doesn't end here. Oh, it doesn't end here. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, key words, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So uh, not only did he take our sin, not only was our sin imputed to him, the Bible tells us that he gave us his righteousness. Chapter five. That he gave us his righteousness. That is the second imputation, that the righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. Now, um, church, in him, let's carry this out. In him, not only do we stand in him forgiven, praise God, we stand before him forgiven, but not only that, we stand before him righteous. Righteous. Completely righteous. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner who he had to forgive that one day at great cost. He doesn't see your, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfection. The God of the universe sees the perfection of Jesus Christ when he looks at you. This is good news. This is the beautiful exchange where we take Our sin, he takes it from us. And when he takes his righteousness and says, here. It's a grand, it is a beautiful exchange. And this is why it matters that Christ lived the life we could not live. This is why it matters that Christ died the death that we deserved. It's through his death we're forgiven. We just remember that as we approach the table. It's through his, his death that we're forgiven, but it is through his life that you are righteous. It was given to you. This is double imputation where your sin imputed to Christ, Christ's righteousness imputed to you. And that is the only way that Paul can say, no one, no unrighteous person will inherit the kingdom of God, but do not be deceived. Because you are righteous in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. 
you are righteous because you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Don't be deceived and forget who you are. Don't be deceived and forget your identity. Don't be deceived and think you're living under a debt that has been paid. Don't be deceived and forget that you stand righteous before God through Jesus Christ. So I wanna ask again, are you righteous? As a follower of Jesus, our answer to this question has to be, must be, in him, yes, In him, yes, I have been washed, I have been sanctified, I have been justified so that in him, yes, I can raise my hand. And I can raise both hands. I can raise my hand. This is a good old-fashioned gospel reminder. This is it. We talk about this phenomenon often, and I love it. I'm gonna keep talking about it. There's this strange thing that happens to us where we have gospel amnesia where we hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, believe the gospel, then we live our life and we forget. And we live our life as though we didn't just hear and receive. And it's called gospel amnesia. Um, Paul says, do not be deceived. Do not forget. Do not slip into gospel amnesia. Don't, this is a clear call, a clear reminder to come back. Uh, Paul says, church, don't be deceived as you live in a culture who's hostile toward the gospel. Don't be deceived when you live in a culture who does not agree with you. Don't forget who you are. Do not forget who you are. He's gently pulling them back. Church, we too are prone to wonder. We too are prone to forget. And Paul is reminding us here, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But let me read this over us one more time. For everyone in this room who is struggling and dealing with doubt, for everyone in this room who is dealing with sin, for everyone who is here um, and maybe wrestling with shame, for everyone in this room who is dealing with identity problems, who am I? For everyone, let me read this over us again. To all of those, those of us here who are dealing with questions, who are in a season of struggle, let us read this again. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I want us to do something. I want to ask, as we close, I want to ask us to do something. Um, And I think this is so powerful to guard our hearts against gospel amnesia. Uh, In a moment, I want us to actually do it together as a church, but I want to challenge you. Uh, There's something incredibly powerful about reading and proclaiming scripture over our lives. Uh, There is something so incredibly powerful about literally saying, the words that God has spoken and speaking them over us. There is something in just saying them out loud about ourselves. There's something so incredibly powerful about speaking God's words over ourselves because they are his words and they are true. 
And there's something so powerful about this. Um, we know that when we're saying scripture over ourselves, we're not engaging in some positive thinking. We're not engaging in some hocus pocus kind of thing. No, we are literally saying what God said about us out loud. There is something incredibly uh, beautiful about that. Um, we can so easily be deceived. We can start wondering about who we are and have questions. Paul says, do not be deceived. In the way of confronting deception is to remember who we are in Christ. Remembering who we are and what God said about us. And so the way to do that is how about let's just say what God said about us out loud. Here's the challenge this week. Um, I would like us to read, pray, and proclaim this scripture over ourselves every day. Uh, here's what it's gonna look. It, it, it's nothing hokey or kooky, I promise you. It's actually extremely simple. What I, what I would like us to do is every day this week to, to, to do this. Um, start by just reading this scripture. Just, just read it preferably out loud. If you can't, that's fine, but read it. Just read the scripture. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. And just read it like it was written. Like God actually means this about you. So read it like you mean it. I encourage you also to memorize it. We don't, memorization is a lost art, a dying art in the church. This is short, Maybe just read it so you don't need to have a Bible or a phone. Just, just memorize it, you know, just memorize it. So, so read it. Then I want to encourage you to pray it. So what that means is, is to pray this, pray after you finish reading, just pray that God would help you understand it. Pray that, um, express your thankfulness. Express your worship and your gratitude to a God who made that true. And, and just pray that God would continue to open your eyes. So read it, and then just pray it. Spend a few moments meditating on this scripture, praying this scripture about your life. And then I want to challenge you to finish um, by proclaiming this verse over your life. And so what this looks like is, is and by the way, we're about to do this in a little bit of a different way. But what this looks like is, is after you finish praying, just simply say this verse again out loud. And this time, switch the pronouns. So, said, but you, said, but I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Like, that's a beautiful statement. How about say it about yourself? Claim it about yourself because this is what God said is true about you. Again, not kooky, not hokey. I hope you don't feel that. This is simply just reading, proclaiming, and praying scripture, speaking God's truth into our lives. That's all this is. That is, that is all this, helping us as God's people to live into what Paul said, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. So here's the challenge. Every day this week, at least once, stop, read, pray, proclaim. Read, pray, proclaim. I encourage you too, if you're in a community group, this is a wonderful thing to just do together, to proclaim this together. That is beautiful. So if you're meeting as a community group, come on now. Low-hanging fruit. We got to do this together. Proclaim this over each other.
Uh, so I want to end our time by actually doing this. So if you would stand with me. Um, what I'd like for us to do is read it actually out loud together. Just to read this out loud uh, together. And then after we're done reading, I'd just like to give you a few moments to just write where you're at to pray. And then I'll close this. And, and after I close this, I'd like to read it again. But this time changing the pronouns. Okay? So, so follow me. So, so we're gonna read this out loud and then and 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 then we're going to pray and, and then we're going to to um, proclaim it. You go to the slide before it. And and let's read the way the scripture was written, but you, but you were washed, but you. Let's read the scripture, and then after we'll read the different program, uh, pronouns. So let's read this together. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Together we thank you for this truth. That we who are broken, we who sin are washed perfectly and completely. As you, you say, by the blood of the Lamb that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. And we know that what your Son washes, he washes well. And God, thank you for setting us apart. Thank you for making us holy. Thank you. As I was running the other way, you set me apart. Thank you for justifying us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we know with confidence that, that we are declared innocent before you based on nothing we did, nothing that we will do, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life because I couldn't, to die the death that I deserve because you were gonna conquer death on my behalf, to give me life and life abundantly and eternally. Lord, through every life in this room, every season represented in this room, even through moments when things feel like they're turned upside down in our lives, we know that our identity is in you and it will not change. It was not ours to earn to begin with and it is not ours to earn now. So Lord, you acted on our behalf and we thank you. And we, Lord, would you remind us continually of this verse, who we are in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, church, would you read this with me? Will you go to the next one? And let's read this about us. Let's claim this about us. But we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen.